Welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. I am your host, Lucas Miles. You know, I'm very excited about today's interview, not only because we have an incredible guest, pastor, author, and former NFL player, Miles McPherson, but also because in today's episode, we're going to navigate a very sensitive topic that I feel needs really to be discussed more, especially in the church. Pastor Miles McPherson released a book earlier this year entitled The Third Option, Hope for a Racially Divided Nation. In this book, he redefines racism, which honestly was very challenging for me as I was going through it, and he identifies the cultural influences that shape our attitudes on race. For those of you who don't know, Miles McPherson is the senior pastor of the Rock Church in San Diego, California, beautiful city, and really an even more incredible church. This was a lot of fun for me because I got to do the interview on location at Pastor Miles' office there in San Diego. And let me just say that if you live anywhere near the San Diego, kind of Southern California area, I would highly recommend stopping out for service at the Rock Church and listening to Pastor Miles preach sometime. Or if you're there maybe on vacation, consider to uh, build that into your plans and stop by. You will not regret it. Just a phenomenal church, wonderful people, and just a really incredible message and ministry that Pastor Miles has. And I was just really excited and honored to be able to be part of that. So a little bit about him. Pastor Miles attended the University of New Haven, where he majored in engineering. He was also the university's first player to achieve All-American honors in football and be drafted into the NFL. He went on to play with the San Diego Chargers for four years. After his life spiraled out of control in his second season, he gave his heart to the Lord. He then left the NFL for a career in ministry. He graduated from Azusa Pacific School of Theology with a master's degree in 1991 and founded the Rock Church in 2000. His church currently has five weekly services where there are already over 14,000 people in attendance. Today's episode is part one out of two interviews where Pastor Miles and I discuss hope for a racially divided nation. His book is available wherever books are sold. Check it out on Amazon or his website, that's Miles, M-I-L-E-S, just like my last name, milesmcpherson.com. And here is my first episode with Miles McPherson. Pastor Miles McPherson, welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. What's Lu- Lucas Miles and Miles McPherson, how you doing? I think we need to have a show together. <laughs> Pastor Miles and Pastor Miles. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think I, I don't know if the world is ready we, for that fully yet. Two miles. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lot of places we could go with that. So um, I just want to start by saying this campus is awesome. It's incredible. Well, well thank you. Uh, we we were told when we were buying it that it would never be a church. And mm. this building is the size of Noah's Ark, 450 feet long and three stories high. 45, wow. two exact. I saw two elephants walking in. So <laughs> I, <laughs> Hopefully they were guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, yeah, it's really incredible. I mean, the, and, and the, you know, the surrounding area, I mean, just beautiful. I, I heard you say, and I've been listening to the audio book. Uh, and I heard you say, you know, the most, you know, the, the finest city in the country. And I thought, oh, San Diego's all right. Now I get it after, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, walking it's the on street all, here. It's on all the police cars, America's finest city. Oh, and, wow. and, and, you know, I, I came here from New York and I've been here 36 uh, years. And 
And still, after 36 years, I can't believe that it's 70 degrees every single day. <laughs> I'm waiting for fall, waiting for snow, and it never happens. It's not happening. My assistant just texted me. There's It's snowing back home in Indiana right now. So if you ever want to come see it, come on over. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> All right. So uh, you have a book that just released, which we're going to be talking about here, called um, The Third Option, Hope for a racial, er, Racially Divided Nation. I yeah. Is that right? You got it. Okay. And, you know, I'm a pastor myself and in, in listening to the book, you know, I've, I've traveled all around the world. I have friends of about every color you can mm-hmm. imagine. And, you know, I, I, as I listened to that for me, it was immediately challenging and mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't expect that fully. And, and, uh, so kudos, <laughs> I, get, I get that a lot kudos <laughs> on that. And I thought that, you know, um, it was, you just did such a great job. So I want to get into that. But I also want to get into your story a little bit, because I think that's very important, even for the content of the book. Yes, yes. So I grew up in New York, and I have um, two black grandfathers, a black uh, black and Chinese grandmother and a white grandmother. And, and the reason that's significant, that's what caused this, you know, cocoa brown color right here <laughs> and this relatively straight hair and green eyes. And I grew up in a black neighborhood and went to school in a white neighborhood for the first eight years of my schooling from first to eighth grade. Mm. And so I got harassed in the white neighborhood because I was black and I got harassed in the black neighborhood because I wasn't black enough. So I was always kind of an outsider in both worlds. My family was diverse, so I was uh, used to diversity. You know, I saw it every day in my family, but I also saw the conflict in the communities and even in the kids in my community talking about the kids in the community where I went to school. And even though they made fun and, you know, that's what kids do, they were still my friends. So I saw both sides of both communities and realized they did not know each other, but yet they had opinions about each other. So I was kind of in right. the middle in several different ways. Yeah. No, that's that's really interesting. <clears throat> I can, you know, while I was listening to this, I was remembering stories from my own life. And, um, you know, it, you kind of redefined what racism even is for me. And can you talk about that a little bit? Like, as we get into this conversation, yeah. and it sounds like just a really simplistic question, right? but what exactly, if we're talking about, you know, this racial divide, what exactly is racism? Well, um, racism is when you um, see someone that is of a different ethnicity, which is only one race, there's only a human race. So there is no such thing as multiple races, even though we say that, and I say in the book, because that's how people understand it, but there's only one race, uh, but, but racism is when you see someone from a different ethnicity or someone who looks different and you discriminate against them, you think they're less than you, uh, they're inferior to you, they're not as smart as you, or not that capable of you, and you treat them as such. Now, there's institutional racism where there are political governmental systems that hold people down. Uh, then there's internalized racism, which a lot of people aren't aware of, is when you get told over and over again that you're less than you start to believe it. Mm. And then therefore you express that racism towards yourself and the people who are like you. Yeah. Um, and that's horrible. And I've seen that a lot because, you know, um, when you, when you get told you're less than, or you can't do this, you start to think, how can I get ahead in life? You know, I start to hate the fact that I'm black or I deny my Latin culture because it's not accepted. So now I want to be white or, or what is called American. And so I deny what I am. Right. Uh, so you start to resent what you are and who and people who are like you. And then there is personally mediated racism where I just look at somebody who's different and I say, you know, they're inferior to me or I just don't like them because they tell me I'm inferior to them. Right. Um, and so those are the three kinds. Mm. 
I was, um, I did a video for the city of South Bend here recently, interviewing some folks that had been around for 50, 60 years in the city and talking about how it's progressed. And specifically the video was focused on a uh, community center in a predominantly black neighborhood. And they built this community center in a place where it was a segregated pool previously. Wow. And so they kind of established this here mm-hmm. as a, as really a sign, a testimony of, Good. you know, this is something we've moved beyond Good. in this, but you know, for a lot of people, um, you know, some of those things are just foreign. I mean, I think for me growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood, I mean, I can remember a few instances of things. There was a, there was a, um, a friend of mine, you know, um, was a, was a black gentleman played basketball with him about every day. And, but when my grandma came up from Alabama, she went and told my mom, do you know, there's a black boy in the driveway. <laughs> and that for me was like the first time I yeah. ever realized that this is still a thing. Right. That but then as I'm reading your book as the you know I think you did such a great job of talking about how we all have these most subconscious beliefs. Biases. Yeah, we yeah. all have biases, yeah. Um I think one of the big ahas in this book which by the way is about honor. Um in every race conversation it's about us versus them. You always find yourself having to choose a side. And if you listen to the news, you'll hear people talk about we got to end this us versus them culture. Right. But the the third option is that we honor what we have in common. So instead of it being my group or your group, the, the third group is that you and I can realize and acknowledge that we are more similar than we are different. You and I are 99.5% genetically identical. You and I want to have family. We want to pursue our gifts. We want to be in love. We want to eat and enjoy food and, yeah. and enjoy culture. We have we have more in similar, more um, in common than we are different. And more than anything, we're both made in the image of the same God. And the image of God in you is not inferior or superior to the image of God in me. It's the same God. So we are more the same than different. And so the third option is how can I get past the negative impact of racism in our culture and begin to see you as someone who's more like me than not like me and enjoy that. So this book is to give people tools to do that. And when you say it challenged you, I'm interested to hear what, how, uh, because I wanted to write it to give people tools to challenge people, but not to feel like them feel like they are attacked, Yeah, but encouraged yeah. And, and, and challenged in a positive way. You know, one of the things that stood out <clears throat> to me is when you talked about this idea that, you know, all skin color is just various pigment of brown, mm-hmm. you know, that it's just, it's just a spectrum, yeah, yeah. you know, and I, I feel almost, I feel almost foolish bringing this up in a conversation about things like race and honor. But when I was a kid, I was always made fun of being called Casper because I was so white, <laughs> you know, and it was, I mean, it, it, and it was something that stuck with me. Yeah. I felt like I always had to try to get a tan, but I, I got Irish, you know, in my oh, blood. So burn <laughs> easy and everything else. And so that was a, that was a big deal for me as a kid. Now I never, and I, today it would, it would be hard for me to consider that racism in my mind, right. but you know, this idea of just seeing somebody based upon the pigmentation of their skin right. and developing an opinion or insulting them or judging them as a result of this, you know, that, that it just started messing with my definitions a little bit of that in it's, a good way. It's funny. We, my daughter, who's when she was a baby, she was really pale. And we called her Casper because she was kind of blue. <laughs> and my son, who's a little lighter than me, we call him Lemonade because he's yellow. <laughs> we call him yellow. But, but yeah, we have all those names. And, you know, sometimes people are just being kids. Sometimes they're repeating what their parents said. And you never really know. I think one of the one of the big ahas for me in writing the book was that people can be racially offensive and not be a racist. Mm. Now, there are people who are racist, no doubt. 
Yeah. And then there are a lot of people who say they're not. Mm-hmm. But the people who say they're not still offend. Yeah. So some of those people might be racist and not realize it, but some of them just say things they don't know are offensive or they don't believe they're offensive or because people don't believe they're a racist, they can't accept some that they could ever be racially offensive because those two things are synonymous. Right. And and we want to separate those two things in some instances where you may ask me a question, I may say something to you that means... It's, I'm not trying to be offensive, but you mm-hmm. receive it that way. Yep. And if you receive it that way, I need to be aware of that and be sensitive to how yeah. you your filter. And I think when people read the book, uh, they need to realize, well, maybe there's a blind spot that I have that I talk about where you're unaware of what you're unaware of. And if you can learn about how to approach people differently, uh, more honoring, you could build more relationships, be a better salesman, yeah. be a better parent, be a better pastor, uh, a better Christian for that matter. Because you're being more sensitive to how people are receiving what you say. And because if you don't think you can be uh, racially offensive and not be a racist, and if you think you're not a racist, you'll never accept you're offensive. Mm-hmm. And, and then the conversation shut down. You know, it's, that's really the nature of understanding grace is that we're all messed up. And the moment that I, you know, self-righteousness starts kicking in to think that, oh, well, you know, I love Jesus. I could never be like that. Right. It shuts down anybody's ability to have any sort of like, exactly. hey, I know that you're well-intended, but when you said that, well, no, I, you know, that, that was the spirit, brother. It was, you know, you got to get over, you know, just all that, just kind of like what I call uber-religious sort of mindsets yeah. that yeah. develop in us. Exactly. So many stories from my past have been going through my mind the last, you know, 24 hours preparing for this. How for your own life, I want to hear a little bit about your story, and then I definitely want to get into some of the practical things that you share in the book and that you guys are also doing, you know, in the in the release of of the third option. But in your story, you know, um, did you always see yourself as, you know, being able to overcome? Were you were you the kid in the neighborhood going, I'm gonna play in the NFL someday? And, you know, what was that process for you? Well, um, all of us were saying we were going to play. <laughs> I guess I was too, yeah. and I didn't have a chance. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think I always believed it. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't the best kid on my football team. I didn't get a division one scholarship, um, but I still believed it. Yeah. I went to division three football school in college and I said, I'm going to go to NFL. And I did, but you know, at the time it was like, you're out of your mind, right? Our school was 2,500 kids. No one had been to the NFL. They didn't even have a winning season when I got mm. there. So, you know, it was unrealistic, even though it happened. Um, I went to the University of New Haven, by the way, uh, which is now D2, Division Two. I did believe that I, I that I would do something. I wasn't a believer, so I wasn't, God wasn't in the factor, in the factor. But I have a brother who was a Heisman runner-up. I have another brother who was an eighth-ranked boxer. So we were all very athletic since yeah. we were, you know, we were little and competed in, in Pop Warner. We, you know, we were the most valuable players. And in high school, we did pretty good. And my my younger brother was all American in high school. I was not. Uh, but I was surrounded by success, right? So, and and we were very driven. That was true. You talk about in the book the first time that you saw an NFL contract. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, uh, my my college coach tried out in the NFL as a defensive back, and he was still in shape. I mean, he had tried out like the year before, so he was still in really good shape. And I just idolized Coach Fenton, and he had a party at his house and pulled out. And if, he brought me in his room and said, I want to show you something. And he pulled out a contract and he said, you can get one of these. And I was a freshman. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> and it was, it, was, it was a big deal. 
And, you know, it didn't matter whether he was white, black, or green. He was believing in me. Yeah. Right? And that's why one of the reasons sports is so powerful because we all have a common goal and a common enemy. It doesn't matter what you look like. We're all trying to do the same thing, and we are instantly united. Mm. And uh, he showed that to me, and, and um, it really gave me a lot of hope and inspiration. All this month on The Lucas Miles Show, I'm going to try something new that I'm calling the Lucas Miles Motivational Moment of the Week. And here it is. Okay, so you're tired. You're worn out. Don't quit. Someone out there needs you. You know, you possess on the inside of you a unique giftedness and a talent. It's what I call your personal glory. And it might just be the missing component in someone else's revelation, breakthrough, or miracle. If you quit today, not only will you miss out, but so will others. So don't quit. It's going to be worth it if you continue. I promise. And now, back to our show. nice if there was an unparalleled digital faith experience that could unite the global body of believers into an online community? Well, now there is. Introducing Faith Social. Faith Social is a robust digital platform that provides a complete menu of resources to nourish spiritual lives in an atmosphere of unity that doesn't require uniformity. They bring the world's Christians together and deliver churches, ministries, and individuals contents that deepen their connection with God and connect them with one another. Faith Social is today's digital faith experience. Check them out at faithsocial.com. But my my understanding was, you know, there was a pretty pivotal change in your life while you were there. Can you tell us kind of maybe what life looked like prior to that and then how things changed after you had that encounter right i played four years uh with the san diego Chargers. i was drafted to to the los angeles rams and got cut which means you get fired (laughs) you don't get paid (laughs) and uh everybody signs a contract they bring about 100 guys to training camp and half of them get fired and and so nfl stands for not for long you know those guys can get cut anytime anytime you know and and usually back then no one got paid after you got cut yeah now some guys got some guarantees but not all of them so anyway i got cut played for the san diego Chargers four years my first two years i was doing cocaine and smoking weed and chasing women and and then one night i just you know it was five o'clock in the morning i had been doing cocaine all night and i just said i'm not going to do this anymore and i committed my life to christ I recommitted my life to Christ and stopped doing cocaine that day. Stopped smoking marijuana that day. Got back together with my girlfriend that day. And we've been married 34 years. I, we got married later that year. Wow. Yep. wow. And then I played two more years uh, with the Chargers and then got cut again. Um, I got cut twice from them, one from the Rams. So I got cut three times, one for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I went directly into ministry. Wow. Yeah. How was how was that shift? I mean, it, you know, you don't, you know, you think of most people, they don't, uh, you know, get home from from NFL and go, let's plan a church. I mean, what did yeah. that look like? Well, after I, after I committed my life to the Lord uh, between my second and third year, I just started 
sharing my testimony and doing a Bible study at my house with kids in the neighborhood. Nice. So I, by the time I retired and, and got cut the last time, I was doing a Bible study with teenagers and speaking in you know, schools and, and churches. And I said, you know, I think I could do this. And so I was already transitioning in my heart. And I remember the last year I was playing, my heart wasn't in it, mm. you know, and I just said, I'm done with this. And I, I, I didn't have the courage to walk away because it was my dream. And I really couldn't believe I was even feeling that. How could I not want to play football right. in the NFL for right. that matter? And God was just taking my heart out of it. And I remember one day kneeling at practice. We were losing and it was a miserable season. And it was, I was kneeling in mud. And this little thought came to me, said, you're 25 years old and you're kneeling in mud. Now, normally you think, what's wrong with that? <laughs> and, and I said, why, why does that not resonate with me anymore? And it was just God saying, you're done. Mm. And then the season ended and I got cut going into the next season. And that was it. I, I never got another job offer and I went into ministry making $125 a week. <laughs> <laughs> after making nine thousand dollars a game wow so um when i got offered that job in an instant god said are you going to do it for the money you're going to trust me i said i'll take the job and wow. god is taking care of us wow now uh, let's talk about the church here for a minute i think that's a good transition how long have you guys been here now yeah. we uh, started this church in the year 2000 so 18 years going on 19 in february we have five campuses um and uh you know one of the things that i'm most excited about is all the volunteer yeah. uh, ministries in the community. We, we do over half uh, $5 million worth of volunteer service to our, for our city. Wow. Um, and so we have a lot of great people and it's a very diverse church. So a lot of great people around all around the city and 118 zip codes that make up San Diego volunteering in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's really exciting to me. Now there's, there's a, uh, there's a pretty eclectic mix here. If we're talking about you know diversity and race, right. what does what does that breakdown look like here on on the campus? I wrote in the book: forty eight percent white, thirty four percent Latino, fourteen percent black, two percent Pacific Islander, something like that. <laughs> it, it's really just mixed, and that that's the makeup of the people who took the survey the day we did yeah. the survey. It, it's the United Nations, and I, I wouldn't even you know. I don't even know how many different kinds. Mm -hmm. I did a, I, I preached a sermon in Spanish uh, six months ago, and uh, we did a, a service to launch it, and we had 15 Latin countries represented in, wow. in in the launch, the vision casting for the sermon that I did for the regular Sunday. And so we just had the side services vision night, and there were 15 Latin nations. It just that's just the Latin nation. So I I don't know how many nationalities, but it's 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 a little bit of everything, and then a bunch of mixed people like me <laughs> that have a bunch of nationalities in them. How do you, you know, you, you guys have done some, you've had some pretty intentional philosophies, I think with the ministry that's created sort of this, this environment, this ecosystem that seems to have really thrived across multiple demographics and, and, and diverse people. What are some of those philosophies that you guys have held to that have, have created this place into what it is. We have a um, outreach philosophy called do something church. And it's based on four things that Jesus did while he was in his body. So do, the, do something church does it count, walk, ask, love and count is take a numerical assessment of the pain in the community. So how many strip clubs, how many homeless, how many mm -hmm. kids in foster care, those are numbers and every number represents a family. 
a person in the family and a, and, a, and a whole network of people. How many people are killed every year in your city or raped? And those are people that represent pain. And then you walk to them. You know, Jesus walked everywhere. Obviously, he didn't have a car, but he didn't. He also didn't sit in, in the synagogue and say, come to me. Yeah, yeah. He went to them. And then you ask, how can I help you? He asked blind Bartimaeus, you know, what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. In Mark chapter 10. And then you love, which is the greatest commandment. So if we take a numerical assessment of the pain, where are the homeless people? Okay, we, you can count them and you know where they live. Let's walk to them. Right. Let's ask them, how can I help? A lot of times as believers, we're telling people what they need to do versus saying, how can I love you? How can I help you? And then we respond in love. So that's what we are constantly doing. You know, if you watch the news or drive around, just ask, man, who's hurting and where are they at and how can we help them? And if we took that posture, a lot more people would say, here, come here and you can help us. Yeah, I just have a few more minutes here on this first episode, but, and then I want to, second episode, make sure listeners tune back in because we're going to be really diving in to the material in this book and specifically some of the the practical takeaways, which I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think every book always has. Yeah. There's a lot of philosophy out there. I felt like you did a great job of presenting both the philosophy and where do we go now that we see this. Exactly. And you know, if you could speak to the person out there, maybe, uh, maybe they're a pastor trying to find ways to engage with their their community more, or maybe there's somebody who who's been minimalized, you know, in in life because of some of these uh, racial divides that exist. You know, what, what would be your, your kind of final takeaway uh, for them uh, here today on this episode? So if it's a pastor, I would stand on the stage Sunday and ask himself, am I ministering to everybody? Well, one, what does my congregation look like? Because if everybody looks the same, then there are people in your, unless that neighborhood looks like your church. Because yeah. if, if you live in an all white, all black neighborhood or, or the, the, the geographic area from which you minister, is all one thing. There's really not a whole lot you can do. Um, some people just target neighborhoods of people who look like them. Okay. We don't want to do that. I would challenge the pastor. Does my neighborhood look like the geographic area of that God has given me? And if it doesn't, then I would challenge the pastor to go start to meet people in those neighborhoods and expand the breadth of his the impact of his ministry. If your church is diverse, then I would ask, are you ministering to the needs of all the people in your church? And how do you know? I mean, do you know what the blacks or the whites or the Hispanics or the Asians, what their needs are? Is your message purely the gospel or is it, or is it political, which is definitely going to split your church, which I said, you know, I would encourage pastors to stay away from. But I think, are we ministering the kingdom of God to all the people that God has given us access to? That's got to be the big question. Uh, because we represent the kingdom of God. And when people look at our church, do they see a group of people that love people or they just love some? Mm. Uh, you know, S- Sunday morning is the most segregated time of the week. And, you know, when, when as non-believers looking at the church going, they're divided more yeah. than us. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 I'm sure that break God's heart, breaks his heart. Mm. No, such a great message. And uh, I can't wait to get back into the second episode. So thanks for listening today. And Pastor Miles, thanks for joining us on the Lucas Miles Show. Good. Get the book, Amazon.com, everywhere books are sold. Awesome. We'll have all that in the show notes and uh, and definitely pick this up. Highly recommend it. And as I mentioned, I've been listening to the audio version on Audible and uh, you read it yourself, which is uh, which is enjoyable. Oh my gosh. It took me 19 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wanted to jump off a bridge after that. I'm well, glad so, you enjoyed so it. So especially listen to it to make this man's pain worthwhile. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. 
I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as well as our newest feature, the Lucas Miles Motivational Moment of the Week. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, make sure and hop over to my Instagram page, which is at Mr. Lucas Miles. That's MR Lucas Miles for a lot more motivational moments as well as all sorts of other goodies. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you join us next week.